Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Hello and welcome to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I know you're all proud that I said the right show this time. Corey Crisson, the beat writer for Pitt Athletics and various other things over at DK Pittsburgh Sports is here with us. It's time for a new show. Corey, how are you doing, man? Hey, we love the Pirates Fan Forum, too. We love both shows. This is our show and I'm doing great, Gary. I am preparing for the trip to lovely Western New York. <laughs> All of the bread and milk are, is sold out at the Wegmans nearby in Western yeah. New York. If you know Wegmans, you know. If not, ooh, get to a Wegmans someday. You and you and Dayon ought to head up there with a trunk full of bread and, and start selling <laughs> selling it, you know, on the way. And, um, and a couple tanks of gas, like extra in your trunk. It'll be mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Dayon's not scared at all. I heard him on the Ramon show. He, he loves snow, so he, he, you know, to him, this is just Winnipeg light, I think. I guess. <laughs> I guess so. For me, I, I mean, I went to college at Syracuse, so, like, I know what it can get like. Right. And I know what lake effect snow means, and I know what wind gusts mean. So, this will be, if nothing else, an interesting ride, and a good morning to you as well, Ryan. Uh, thanks for joining us live. We're live on Facebook. We're live on Twitter. We're live on YouTube, on DK Pittsburgh Sports, on Pit, chopping up some pit hoops, Gary. I think it's a good time to have a, yeah. I guess, 99% pit hoop show. We'll get to one little football football point later. but um, Yeah, it's a good time to kind of stop and reset and just think about what we've seen now because we've gone through the non-conference schedule. We've gotten into the ACC schedule a little bit. I think it's fair to say, Corey, neither of us thought they were going to take down Duke or they they were like poised to be favored in that matchup or anything. We thought that was going to be a tough game for them. Duke is a good, good team. Mm-hmm. But they weren't even really competitive. And it it got a lot. I mean, even the final score, 75-53, it won that. It won that. I mean, I, I was following you on the live file. I'm sure a lot of people were. And I'm looking at, at at your notes even, I think three or four times in there, you were like, it's over. Really no point in going any further with this one. Well, no, I mean, like in, in midway of the second half, it was like, what what are we doing here? And that game got so out of hand so quickly. But I think the big point that we want to talk about, it's not really about the game specifically in and of itself. I think it's more of 
the test, the litmus test of where Pitt is with respect to Duke. Remember, this team with Jamarius Burton, Nelly Cummings, Nike Sabandi, Greg Elliott, and in the cast of characters that returned for this year's team, that team competed with Duke for a half in Durham. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the run they went on, uh, you know, battle for first place, end of the season. This is a different team from that team. And I think what we're seeing here, and you and I talked about this a bit before we got on air, this team's really missing Jamarius Burton. This team doesn't have a guy like Jamarius Burton that's able to penetrate and create, that's able to dribble, drive, and create, that's able to get his own look and get to the basket the way Burton was. There's been games this season where Pitt just keeps shooting threes up, and it's like, well, get to the basket. Draw something up for Federico or the Twins. Get something into the basket. Jeff Capel said they're not built to go down low. So that, to me, is a launching point for a discussion of not just how much different this team is from last year's team that went to an NCAA tournament, but how does this team now at one and four at the bottom of the ACC through five games get itself back up? I mean, for one thing, uh, I would prefer a coach not acknowledge an, uh, a glaring weakness like in, in public like that. Yeah. Um, I think that's not the impression I think you or I had of this team going into this season. I think we thought their strength probably would be down low. You know, with with Federico Federico coming back and Guillermo evolving a little bit, we felt like there was going to be a little bit more opportunity for them to work the ball inside. More than that, though, and more than just saying, oh, we lost all these seniors and now we have all these freshmen and sophomores, I I think Burton almost was the one that flipped the switch from all the threes to it's time to start penetrating. Mm-hmm. Because things weren't falling, and and I can count multiple times last year where there was a definitive moment where Burton just decided, nope, I'm driving the lane, enough yep. of this, and he would just change the game. And next thing you know, Henson's popping threes because he's getting open looks and not yep. seeing that this year. Well, I mean, think of the Mississippi State game of the NCAA tournament. Burton drives and creates that shot with 10 seconds to go. And yeah, that's a big point of the game that's missing right now because right now, Bob Carrington, Jalen Lowe, Ish Leggett, those guys don't do what Burton did. And and the sum of those three also don't do what Burton does or did rather. And as a result, Jeff Capel has to adjust. Jeff Capel has to adjust the strategy. Now, again, what to make of the Duke loss specifically I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that was just Duke being really darn good, which for my money, they're the best team in the ACC, or if that was Pitt showing their warts and showing that they still have some more room to grow. And I think you can look back to the Louisville law, uh, Louisville win, excuse me, the game prior last Saturday. Like that wasn't a comfortable win. You get the point total looks fine. Sure. But that wasn't a comfortable win for Pitt. They did not play their best ball against a pretty bad Louisville team. And I would also say they're they're probably not that much better than Louisville either. <laughs> I think they're probably built about the same. A lot of youth, 
you're you're hoping a lot of that youth like steps up a lot of talented youth Mm -hmm. you know i I don't think that there's a lot of guys that you want to flush here but as you wrote too a, a very good point you made about pumping the brakes on bub carrington a little bit for this whole one and done thing i I've been there for a few weeks. So, um, you know, I guess it was so obvious. I didn't even think to bring it up, but when you wrote it, it really, really came clear to me. Like, yeah, yeah. That's not what he is. In fact, um, there's some applications. I kind of think Jalen is moving ahead of him a little bit. I saw progress from Jalen Lowe. And I think that part of that, like you mentioned there, Jalen, so to speak, moving ahead of Bub, is that teams are really game planning hard for Bub Carrington. Those two guards for Duke put the clamps on him. 0 for 10 to start the game was Bub and really didn't get much going until late in the second half when the game was out of hand. Right. And to me, I think what we saw early in the season from Bub was a lot of the potential that he could be. But like I, like I wrote, and I'm not going to get too far into that. I appreciate the shout. These one-and-done NBA players that go into college basketball, leave after one year, they do, I don't want to say dominate, but they find ways to actually make impacts in these games. And Bob Carrington was a non-factor against Duke. And he, it, this isn't the first time against a really good opponent where Bub has been silenced. So that's why I, that's why I prompted to say, hey, let's, let's chill on this kid. The potential's there. I'm not going to ignore potential. Right. Potential's there. Build's there. Athletic ability's there. He has to develop his game. It has to be more well-rounded. And the fact that he's in some ways one-dimensional right now makes it way easier, and especially for teams like Duke, where they're very deep. They pulled they pulled their starters and put their reserves in and put, you know, John Shire had the had the end of the bench, you know, quote unquote scrubs come in. One of those scrubs was like the 12th rated recruit in the country this year. So yeah. like that's the level Duke is at. But like when you have that those two freshman guards, uh McCain and I think it was Foster, just locked down Carrington for the course of 35 minutes, that's a concern for me. And and they couldn't open up any looks for him. And He's not a guy that is fully at the ability, like we talked about with Jamarius Burton, that could just create his own look at the snap of a finger. Right. Let's take a quick break because it's also time for that, as well as realizing what Bob Carrington is, because I have another couple points on him when we come back. We're back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network, and we're going to pick up talking about Bub Carrington because there's a lot to cover there. I think first, very talented kid. Oh, I agree. But, and I, and I think he, he's going to be a good basketball player. I do. I think he just has one bad thing going for him. He's just like a left-handed power hitter in baseball. Okay. I like to relate it back to that. I'm down. He can do a lot of things. Beautiful things, but there's one real easy way to make sure he doesn't do anything. And it's just to make sure that you throw a lefty at him. He's never going to touch it. Well, Carrington has a fatal flaw and it got identified really early. 
and it doesn't matter the level of competition, they have been able to shut him down just schematically. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and when you can do that to a guy, it doesn't matter what else he does. So until he can conquer that, being able to, to go left or right from the point, there's just not going to be an effective game for him. Do you think it would behoove Jeff Capel to move Jalen Low to the one and let Bub run the two to get the ball out of Bub's hands, so to speak, that way? I, I do, but I ultimately think that this program would do better if Bub wound up being the fully formed one. So it sure. might be worth it might be worth sacrificing some games here to make sure it happens. Thing is, I'm just not seeing it. And I don't even know if I don't even know if he's recognizing when what they're trying to do to him yet, which scares me even more because mm-hmm. you know Jeff Capel's telling him. I mean, when TV analysts are talking about things consistently, Sometimes you can say, okay, well, that's the notes. They're getting their information from talking to the coaches about what they're going to do and what they're seeing. And mm-hmm. they're not just making this up. They're not watching Pitt every game, game in and game out. So when they're saying it consistently, they're hearing that from the coaches. Mm-hmm. You know he's pounding them with that. Were you at the Pete for this one? I was not, sir. Okay, no. so so you watched on television. What were they saying? Oh, they they start every single one of them with Bub can't go to the left and, you know, or Bub can't go to the right. I mean, and um, Jalen Lowe looks like he's passing him by Federico. Federico has been really disappointing this year. You know, that's what he has, say. which he has. And by the yeah. way, one of one of those analysts for that Duke game was Jim Beheim. Sure. Who obviously knows Jeff Capel pretty well. I will say Jim Beheim, like I know people are predetermined to hate him in this market. Not you, of course, Corey, but. <laughs> he he is uh, probably overly fair because he's got the coaching in him um, yeah. when he does like the analysts. So he tends to be a little bit nicer about some of the things they're doing wrong that I think you, you hear some of them. Yeah. Um. So if you felt like he was going to be like hating Pitt or whatever, I didn't, I didn't pick that up. I actually thought he was a little easy on some things that I know he personally could have explained mm-hmm. so beautifully. Because he was a defensive mastermind. Mm-hmm. That 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 zone defense that he ran at Syracuse for all that years would eat this pit team alive and they're still running it. Mm-hmm. It's revolu- it was revolutionary for, for a certain amount of time there. And then uh, now Red Autry, Adrian Autry, which Pitt will see on Tuesday at the Pete. Uh, they run man to man now, so change that, change that up. It's gonna look a little bit different. When you see Q's come to town, but no, I think, I mean, Bayheim obviously knows Capel well, knows John Shire well. So I'm not sure, you know, he was going to light either of them on fire, so to speak. And, and I'm not sure he was going to, you know, coddle either, so to speak. So I can imagine um, the tone, if you will, of, of what Jim Bayheim was going to say, but back to Pitt. And I think going forward, like this isn't an NCAA tournament team to me. Nah, I don't even know if it's an NIT team to me. I, I don't. I don't see the re- first off. The resume is not there. They don't have the resume as of right now for either. Quite frankly, by this time last year, Pitt already had a win against North Carolina. They already had a win against Virginia, and they were on their way to a second win against North Carolina around this time. So, and they beat Miami at home. So Pitt was able to stack really important ACC wins, and so far they 
really haven't been able to do that. They're one in four in the conference. So from that standpoint as well, I think we can dial back the expectation a little bit and we could dial back NCAA tournament all the way. I, I can until also, I see them raffle off some wins, you know, Duke, Syracuse, Duke, Georgia Tech coming up, three important games. If they win two out of the three or all three of them, God willing, then we can start the conversation back up a little bit. I'm all about like pulling back on talking about them going anywhere this year. That's fine. Mm-hmm. And I certainly don't think they're winning the ACC. I also think we've started out here with what I would consider probably one of the toughest out the gate starts you could have in the ACC. <laughs> like, sure. You sure. know, you've got Syracuse twice, Duke twice, North Carolina once, and Louisville as mm-hmm. your start. That's rough. A, you're going to have a bad record. Like, in all sincerity, Clemson probably would have a 500 record against that. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and I think Clemson's probably going to compete for the top of this, of, of this, you know, conference. So I'm not saying that lightly. I didn't expect Pitt to do great in this stretch. That said, I expect them to look like competitive. I, I expect them to look like they could steal one, Corey. Mm-hmm. I could have this same record and feel. 50% better about this team than I do right now. Mm-hmm. They play Carolina better. And I think that's important to a certain level, but then they went against Louisville and it was, it was not impressive. It, it just wasn't. The performance was not impressive. I know they didn't have Ish Leggett. He's been hurt with the shoulder, came back against Duke off the bench. Yeah. But like by this point, again, Pitt at least showed something in the sense of, okay, this team, whether they win or lose, is going to be a tough out. This team is going to be something that teams have to take on a Tuesday or a Saturday and play 40 full minutes against. Pitt hasn't really showed that in all of these ACC games. Obviously, the Syracuse game, they they blew. The, The Louisville game was not impressive. They lost to Clemson. Obviously, Carolina Duke. Like, I'm I'm not seeing that kind of level of compete that last year's team showed through this. Forget wins and losses notwithstanding. Yeah. I, I'm just, I want to see 40 full minutes from this team where you feel comfortable about what they did and you feel comfortable about, yeah, the result was or wasn't what they wanted, but that team looked good. That team looked competitive. That team looked like it was going to belong in the top half of the conference. Last year's team by this point did that. This year's team, by and large, has not. Right. We're going to take another break here, um, and then we'll come back and we'll talk just a few more things. I want to talk about your biggest surprises so far this year, um, both good and bad, and I'll give you mine as well. Let's take a quick break. We're back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Corey and Gary talking pit hoops. It's not been a pleasant conversation, just in case you're just joining us, which (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Um, it's time to talk about what I think are our most surprising things. We'll each do a good and we'll each do a bad. Would you like me to start or would you? You first, please. Me first. All right. My most surprising thing is that I think Zach Austin has been their most consistent player. And I didn't expect that. I kind of thought he was going to be like their sixth man, mm-hmm. you know, this year. I really did. I thought when, when everything was clicking, he'd probably wind up being their sixth man. And I'm seeing him more as uh, kind of their conscience. Mm-hmm. I think Austin's been very good this year. And this comes kind of coincidence with my biggest surprise of the year. My biggest surprise is that Blake Henson hasn't developed the other half of his game. Hmm. He tested the NBA draft waters and talked about, yeah, coming back to Pitt was his best option. But we all know Blake as a, as a streaky three-point shooter. Where's the creation of driving and getting into the, into the paint and getting in low and drawing fouls? He's a big dude. Get him inside. Let him throw yeah. a body around. I, I think I think the surprise to me is that Blake hasn't really been utilized in that way. And I'm not asking Jeff Cable to completely change up the way Blake Henson's used because I still think his ability to shoot the three and, and spot up and, and get open looks is still there. And I think it's good. But I would like to see a little more aggressiveness out of Blake Henson. I thought I would see it this season. And especially without, like we talked about, without Burton and without Cummings and without Sabandi, three guards who were really able to get it inside. I thought I was going to see a little bit more of that from Blake this year, and I really haven't. Yeah, I I would say that he's been disappointing, but I can't say it's been a surprise to me. I, I felt like he was a complimentary player that he needed a team around him to to – allow him to shine if you know what i mean sure. i don't think he is necessarily the the juice that turns on the bulb i think he he kind of just needs to be a guy that takes off here and there you can't rely on him game in and game out because he's mm-hmm. gonna go cold and you're right he said what did he say a, a million times this offseason he wanted to improve his uh his slams, right? He kept saying that. Well, what are you going to do? You got to get in the paint to do that. Mm-hmm. And I never, ever see him in the paint unless he's getting fouled mm-hmm. or fouling people. Or gathering a rebound. But that's my point. Now, disappointment. I'll go first on this one. It's been Federico. Plain and simple. It's been Federico. Yeah. I haven't seen anything from him this year. And I thought this would be a really good opportunity for him to take a step in his game. Obviously has international experience. Obviously came along really strong as a defender. One of the best, if not the best center as far as defenders go in the ACC last year. I thought I'd see a lot more from Federico this year. Uh, even even just from the on- onset. Like, obviously he shut down Armando Baycott when Pitt played Carolina last year. That did not happen again. In fact, Guillermo started. Guillermo Diaz yeah. Graham started, which uh, that's that took me by surprise. Excuse me. When Jeff Capel didn't start Federico against Carolina, that told me a lot. Yeah. I well, he's been outplaying him like pretty drastically. Well, he, he's been getting minutes, but I thought like, t- again, to me, the big tell, I thought Capel was almost by default because of matchup going to play Federico, going to start Federico. And, and, and Jeff Capel said it. Don't take too much stock into starters, which is fine because they all get minutes anyway. But I thought, 
to set the tone in that Carolina game, they would have Federico on Baycott glued to him, you know, wax on, get him on, get him on Baycott, get him on there all times. Don't leave his side. And that did not happen. And that told me that there's something going here with Federico, whether it's, I don't, I don't think he's injured. Jeff, Jeff Capel's usually good about announcing injuries. Unlike another, you know, certain head football coach at this university. Right. Um, but yeah, that's been the biggest th- disappointment to me is Federico. I thought I'd see a lot more out of him to start this year. Yeah, I'd have to say that too. And I would say my biggest uh, disappointment, I guess, when there's no leader on the court, because I don't really think there is, the coach really, really needs to be that. And I feel like he just lets them go on these runs of bad basketball, frantic turnovers. They go into these little two-minute territories where they just, for some reason, think they're playing street ball all of a sudden. They're throwing the ball all over the place. And maybe that's just all a reflection of the young point guards. But he's not reeling it in either. You know, (laughs) like I'm not seeing him adjust to it and just, he says we're we're bad at getting inside. Well, play all bigs once. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. Put in all the bigs and and try it. Make it happen. If this isn't working, try something else. That's all I'd like to see. And I feel like he's waiting for the players to mature, and that's it. <laughs> I think what last year's team did was it created an identity for a in a blueprint for what Jeff Cable wanted to do with this year's team. Yeah, you know, it's not like Jeff Capel didn't know he had to replace those four seniors. It's not like he didn't know he had a complete overhaul coming to his backcourt. But like, let's not forget either. And, and I'm not handicapping anything by saying this. They lost Dior Johnson really late in this process of getting ready sure. for the season. Let's 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 not act like that doesn't have anything to do with anything because that's definitely something. Let's also not act like he had a ton of experience either. I agree with that too. I agree with that too. But this is a this is a four star prospect, once really highly coveted. Obviously, his off the court issues speak for themselves. But this was a guy that Pitt had big plans for. However, here's where I'll dial it back. The same exact thing happened last year with John Hughley. That was the guy that Pitt built this thing around. That that team that ran to the NCAA right. tournament was built around John Hughley, and then Federico stepped up, and then down the stretch, Guillermo stepped up. That's not really happening with this backcourt right now. They're making good plays. They're making some good plays, but we're not seeing that level of production that mirrored or even came close to what that backcourt from last year was able to do. And I can argue this one, he probably wanted to be built through Papa Conte. For the, so, for the front court, at least, yeah. Yeah, I, well, I, think I mean, that might, that. that might have changed a little bit of the dynamic. You know, because sometimes, you know, I think point guards, they wind up getting blamed for some things that are actually going on elsewhere. Like we talk about like, well, why won't they drive the lane? Well, maybe because Fetty's just standing there like a lump and and blocking the lane and not doing anything to move the traffic around. You know, maybe they're never ready to receive a pass and that's why they don't get them. You know, it's not always on the point guards. I, I do see people open sometimes. The best chemistry that this team has developed still is the twins. When they're on the court together, they know where they're at and they and they can pass to each other. But that's the only time they ever go down low was when the twins are there. Those two have good chemistry, but 
their coordination's still lacking. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not sitting here telling you they should play all the time. I sure, just mean sure. Like, if I'm looking for a nugget of like what I'd like to see, which is a little bit of a change up and starting to work the ball inside, just to keep people honest to get the, the looks open for the threes again, you got to do that. There's got to be some change made, and I don't care what it is. If it's that little bit of chemistry and that carries them for 10 minutes, do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's there's some figuring out to do with this with this team before you know the stretch run hits here, and we're in, we're into mid January. Like they're running out of time, so to speak, to you know really get the cart back on here. I mean, they have time, but it's you know we're January 13 as we record this. You know, before you know it, you know they're going to be you know in the first week of March. You know, six weeks from now, five weeks from now, whatever it is you know, seven weeks from now, and they're going to be, if they don't figure this thing out, they're going to be in the, you know, the middle to the bottom of the pack. And it's going to be a tougher road to the ACC tournament. And certainly we're not going to feel good about their chances making any kind of postseason tournament. So this, this team is a work in progress as of right now is what I think we're both trying to wrap into here at the end of the day. And, and that's okay, but you know, with that hard schedule to start off ACC play, it will lighten up, but they have to take care of business in those games. Yeah. Um, so let's end on a positive note because that wasn't very positive, <laughs> but one of my all time favorite athletes ever, not, I mean, not even just pit athlete, mm-hmm. Larry Fitzgerald named to the college uh, hall of fame pretty much knew that was going to happen at some point, but it's still nice to have it happen and couldn't happen to a nicer guy. I just can't think of anybody that represents exactly what you'd want a pit athlete to be more than Larry Fitzgerald. Unbelievable person. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't grow up a pit football fan, but even as a kid, you knew Darrell Revis and Larry Fitzgerald for me. In the early 2000s, you knew those two. I mean, Larry Fitz was on the cover of one of the NCAA football video games, for God's sake. I mean, that's that's an achievement. NCAA 04. I remember it was one of my favorites. Like the career Larry Fitz had at Pitt, though it was short, was unreal and should probably should have won the Heisman in 03. I think we can make a good argument on that because back then it really wasn't. Obviously, it's always been a quarterback award to some extent. Sure. Because I could argue Addison should have been in it instead of Pickett too. So. Sure, but like there was also a little bit of a a little bit of a moratorium on voting for underclassmen for that award too at the time. So I think that it, you know history it kind of gets lost in history how great he actually was. Probably should have won the Heisman in '03. Um, obviously, the the NFL career speaks for itself. First ballot Hall of Famer, one of the greatest receivers to ever play the game. Um, Definitely going to be in Canton in the Pro Football Hall of Fame as well, but good to see him get a nod for the College Football Hall of Fame as well. Certainly deserved, certainly earned, um, and and that's a really just, you know, as far as pit football players go throughout time, he's one of the greats. No I mean, like, like right now, I think, first of all, for as short as he was here, he sure comes back and acts like he, <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. he, he loves it, and he and Aaron Donald and Jarrell Revis, I would say, you know, that's that, and James Connor. Mm-hmm. That's like this this recent batch, and you know, 
I don't have personal memories of Marino and Dorsett and, you know, some of the guys, Butkus that you guys do or whoever, not Butkus, Dicka that you guys do. But, but like, I remember these newer guys and I love it. And Mm -hmm. when they get it, when they get the uh, accolades, it's just time to celebrate a little bit for them. That's all. And keep in mind, Pitt has, as of right now, 10 pro football hall of famers, which is high up there on the list of, of programs that have produced hall of fame talent. It's soon to be 11, whenever Larry Fitz gets in and it'll be 12 the day Aaron Donald gets in. So throughout time, this Pitt program has produced some absolute legends and they've been one of the best in the country, perhaps underrated, perhaps under the radar at doing so. So I think that's cool. I think that's amazing for Larry and obviously amazing for the university. Well, good stuff. And uh, you're going to be driving through an avalanche soon. So it might be the last time we ever see you. So just don't say that really, uh, really been great, Corey. I know. I know how scary it is. I know Kathy Hochul doesn't want you guys even heading Uh, up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She said on the address, don't come. She said it. She also said it was going to be a bad day for you if you did. So, well, what she doesn't know, what she doesn't know is that I forged my identity in New York. And I know <laughs> what it's like to battle these elements. I've dug my car out where the snow is up to the handle. I've dug my car out. I put nope. the manual labor in, you know, you I watch comfy old men and you're like, yeah, that's nothing. I, I shop at Wegmans. I used to shop at Wegmans. Okay. I get it. So <laughs> it'll be fun. I'm looking it's forward gonna to be it. great. So anyway, stay safe out there. And uh, everybody, let's just say that what we always do to end the show, H2P. 